the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon... They will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. Um, May is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, and in honor of that, we're going to talk with uh, an author who uh, had a book come out this month uh, called Committed, A Memoir of Madness in the Family. And uh, that, that it certainly uh, applies to mine. Um, her name is uh, Paulina Milana, and she joins me by phone. Paulina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tom. I'm I'm honored to be here. Um, the name of the book, Committed, A Memoir of Madness in the Family, I, I would think everybody listening would think immediately that they had some people in their own family that might fit into a memoir of madness in the family. 
Um, but what about the committed part? Are we talking about um, actual hospitalizations? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I the title committed is sort of a, a, a play on words because this book is about my life, my experience as a primary caregiver to my mom and my sister, both of whom were diagnosed paranoid schizophrenics. And in caring for them, I nearly lost myself um, because I wasn't caring for myself. Committed, that word has so many different definitions. And so one of them is definitely committed in terms of like committing someone to a psych ward, which is exactly what we had to do with my mom and then I had to do with my little sister solo. But committed also has to do with being committed to a, uh, a, a cause, right? Like mental health awareness. Sure. And committed also has to do with, you know, committing some sort of a crime. And or, in these, yeah. Or, or even you might also add being committed to providing care. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So it, so it is, it's a word that kind of fits with everything going on in this book. And at the end, not to do a spoiler here, but the fact that I was caring for two diagnosed mentally ill people, the truth of it is at the end, I'm the one who becomes the danger, not them. I am the one who has gone so far down a bunny hole and I'm not the one who's clinically diagnosed, but I'm the one who really, I, I, my struggle to remain sane in the middle of all this madness, I nearly lose it. Well, I lose the battle. Paulina, right off the bat when you said that, you know, your, your mother had schizophrenia, your sister had schizophrenia, it, it, you know, at first I thought, well, is this something that might be hereditary and were you adopted? <laughs> That's funny. You know, some, you, you, uh, we're laughing here, but when I was a little girl, um, my, when I was born, my father uh, took my baby pictures and he went to Sicily. My parents are both from Sicily. I'm first generation. And he wanted to show his father, who was still in Sicily, and the rest of his family. When he returned to the U.S., he forgot the pictures or he left them on purpose. I grew up, and out of my entire family, I was kind of the only one with blonde, curly hair, and my siblings told me I was adopted. Um, and I believed it because of I was a little bit different. But no, I am definitely um, not adopted. And uh, when it comes to hereditary uh, and mentally, mental illness being hereditary, schizophrenia, when, my, when we were going through it with my mom, late 70s, early 80s uh, onward, they kind of said, no, it's not hereditary. Then I learned, because I was doing my own research, that while it's not technically hereditary, uh, the children of uh, parents who have schizophrenia, I think there's something like 25% or even 50% more likely to, to have um, the disease, to inherit it. In my case, um, I prayed prayed every night that I wouldn't, quote-unquote, catch it, that I wouldn't be the one to have it. And I, I prayed that my 30th birthday would come sooner rather than later because you're supposed to get it, quote-unquote, if you're going to get it, in your 20s. 
what I really didn't give much thought to until it happened was that schizophrenia did choose its next next victim, and that next victim was my little sister. So um, when she hit 24, she um, she ended up I I ended up having to commit her, and uh, from a, a major psychotic break, and that's when I realized just how just how devastating this this disease can be and how it does have a propensity to to move through families and stay with um with those you know the dna you know you talked about your mom um getting it and and you having to address it and and deal with her how old was she and how old were you when you started having to sort of take over? Yeah. So, um, you know, schizophrenia is kind of sneaky because uh, you it, 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 actually mental illness is sneaky. It kind of um, it sneaks up on you. I mean, yes, you have like this one major possibly psychotic episode and, you know, but, but there's signs along the way. And some of them are just, oh, you know, are you quirky? Are you eccentric? Are you, you know, oh, yeah. it's just... Down I mean, south, they, know? Just, they just say peculiar. Right. <laughs> peculiar, right? I mean, you know, and, and every one of us has those kind of tendencies, right? Um, but but when it was with my mom, I was, like, when it really started kind of where where I, even as a child, was like, what the heck? I was maybe 10, and um, and my mom was in her late 40s at that point, I think, um, yeah. And, you know, it's not supposed to happen that late in the game. So we went to all the doctors, and the doctors um, told us it was physical at first. My mother had a couple of uh, exploratory brain uh, surgeries um, because they were going to cut it out of her or whatever the heck it was. Yeah. And... And then it finally turned out, you know, Mayo Clinic told my dad, you know, um, Mr. Milano, this is not physical. Your wife has a mental illness. It's called schizophrenia. And that started us down a path where, you know, nobody knew about it. And, and if you did even have an inkling of it, you didn't want to be associated with it. So um, some of the things, you know, my mom uh, had uh, hallucinations, auditory, visual, she thought, Things were there that, that, you know, no one else could see. She would stay up all night screaming at whomever. She was a paranoid schizophrenic, so she thought that we were trying to um, kill her. So her, her defense oh, wow. mechanism was to, you know, make sure that she protected herself. So she would put knives and baseball bats under the bed. She would threaten. And then, you know, all night long that would be happening. And the next day we just had to go to school. And we didn't tell anybody we were, um, you know, we were of the mind that what happens in the family stays in the family. It's a very kind of Sicilian unwritten code, um, you know, La Cosa Nostra. And we, we did the best we could on our own. Um, when I was younger, I became, you know, my father dubbed me La Piccola Mamma, which is, you know, the little mother. And I started caregiving there. But it wasn't until, you know, I, I come home from college, that's what this, book is about I have a year away I try to escape it by myself I come back I'm back in the mix and then unexpectedly my father 
he dies of a massive heart attack. Mm -hmm. And now I'm left being primary caregiver to my mom. And then two years after my dad dies, my little sister has her psychotic episode. And that's when I, I just become primary caregiver to both. And I do it in secret. No one outside knows about it. I don't ask for help. Um, and, and the silence nearly suffocates me. How many siblings uh, did you have, Paulina? Just you and your sister? Nope. Um, so I have uh, myself, obviously, my little sister, um, the one who had, uh, who has uh, mm -hmm. diagnosed paranoid schizophrenia, and then I have another older sister and an older brother. Well, the reason that I ask that is, is it, is it possible? And you were pretty young when this started going on. Um, is is it possible that it had been going on for a long time and was just being sort of thought of as uh, the anxiety that that we uh, associate with parenting and and how all moms <laughs> and how all moms are a little mad? <laughs> you know what? Um, I'm sure that. All moms are mad, uh, you know, a little mad, a little crazy. We're all a little bit crazy, right? Um, sure. And that's and that's something uh, to actually embrace, in my opinion. With um, with my mom, they did tell us that they thought that perhaps it had manifested itself early on. But my mother was extremely intelligent and extremely talented. Um, and and what the belief is is that. She so hid it. She was able to hide it. Um, and not until there was a moment that uh, triggered it, set it off. So we, we lived with my mom's older brother, um, our Uncle Joe. And my mom, unfortunately, uh, you know, it was tough for my mom being Sicilian. You, you know, the, the men in the family kind of um, take priority. So well, it's very was, patriarchal. Very patriarchal, right. And so she would take care of my dad, obviously, but then she also had her older brother who kind of raised her in many ways. And so then he would chime in on what he wanted her to do. And at one point, um, she had said to my father, you know what, we need to ask Joe to leave, to find his own place to live. And so um, basically the eve that that all happened, my Uncle Joe dies of a massive heart attack. My mother took that to heart as if somehow she had something to do with it or she, she just felt guilty. And I think that was the triggering moment when, when she started to kind of go in her head and grief just overcame her. And that just maybe transferred into something even bigger because she never got the help she needed. Or, or maybe, whatever guard she'd been able to put up had had just weakened significantly at that point yeah yeah i th i think you're right you know i um you know i i don't pretend to be an expert kind of in the medical field of um schizophrenia or, or mental health i what i do know is my experiences what i have learned along the way and and what i am able to kind of share with others who maybe are just kind of starting out on some sort of a path of, of mental health and wellness.
More with author Paulina Milana straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More with author Paulina Milana, straight ahead. Now, you said after wrestling with this for a while, after your dad died and then your sister came down with it and you were giving care to two uh, people who had been diagnosed with schizophrenia and it it wore on you to the point where you started to lose your own grip. Is there <laughs> something significantly different between what you were experiencing and what they were experiencing? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I would have to say definitely yes, because while I was losing my grip, um, it wasn't as if, so, so for example, my mother um, thought we were trying to kill her. My mother thought that, um, that she saw a wolf uh, with yellow eyes every night in the window. My mother spoke out loud screaming at, um, at, at visions of, of something that was there that no one else could see. Same with my little sister. She thought that she was engaged to be married to someone. She thought that the uh, missalettes from church and the shopping circulars had photos of her and her upcoming wedding. I didn't have those kinds of delusions. What I had was an, a, 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 it's called compassion fatigue, a complete overwhelm of caring for others without, really with neglecting myself. And, like and an overload of anxiety. Complete overload of anxiety, of depression, um, having lost my dad, and not being able to grieve him because I immediately went into the mode of, of caring, you know, being a reluctant caregiver in essence, right? And I had already lost some, if not much of my childhood and here it was just continuing. And so for me, it was the, the stories I was telling myself about this is your fate, this is your life, this is what you're stuck doing, there is no other path out. I couldn't see my way out. So, yes, in terms of mental health, um, or, or I, I was suffering, I was not well, but I did not have an actual mental disorder, right? Not like schizophrenia, bipolar, and all of those. And then, you know what? This is a great conversation because that's what makes it so difficult. Um, mental illness, emotional wellness, it touches on so many things. And you can't, it's not black and white. You don't just throw it in the bucket and be like, oh, okay, that person has a broken arm, right? Well, or, let me, oh, okay. Let me yeah. see if I can, if I can interject a, uh, a black and white question. Was the, the anxiety overload that you were experiencing, that could be fixed, but their mental illness couldn't? Hmm. That's a great <laughs> bit of insight. Um, yeah, I think, I think you're 100% right. Their mental illness was something that could be treated, it could be managed, 
but it would never like just evaporate, go away by itself. Anxiety and it what I get, could. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think that's an awesome way to put it. Thank you. And and yet yours could be in the process of finding um, your way out of emotional being emotionally unwell. Were you able to then discover along that path some help with what got you there? In in other words, were you able to look outside? You, you talked about the secrecy and the silence. Were you able to reach out to someone for help for you and, and then ultimately help with what you were going through with them? So, um, another great question, and yes and no. So, did I reach out of my own, quote-unquote, free will, like that I went seeking? No. Um, I had chosen to uh, do myself in. I, I didn't see any way out, so I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to do the world a favor. I'm going to take myself out and, in the process, take my little sister and my mother out. Um, I had it all planned. I went to a, uh, I belonged to a, um, a women's kind of club and the owner knew me. Her name was Margie. And for some reason that night when I had planned that I was going to do this, she saw something in me. I don't know what she saw, but she saw something in me and said, you know, you don't seem right to me tonight. And she made me stay with her until I agreed for her to take me to her friend who happened to be a therapist just a few blocks down the road. And I, I couldn't kind of get myself out of, you know, saying no, I was a people pleaser even then. So I said, okay, Margie, I'll go. But I only have, you know, 30 minutes, I think was what I had said. <laughs> and uh, really because I was on a clock, right? I had things to do and this was supposed to be it. And I, I just, I knew that I had to go through with it. I saw no other way. Well, Margie takes me to this therapist. Her name was Lynn or let, name is Lynn. And Lynn greets me. She brings me in. She seats me, and she says, you know, Margie says that something's, you know, off. You know, what's going on? And I say to her, nothing. Nothing's going on. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's happening. And Lynn says to me four magic words that change my life. She says, okay, tell me about nothing. Those mm-hmm. words, I just, like, spilled it out. I, like, I just told her everything just in kind of, you know, a couple minutes and I, I remember the look on her face like, oh, my Lord. And she, <laughs> she got me. She got me to promise to come in again. And she, that woman, saw me for months without me paying a dime. And it's, I have a podcast, um, I'm With Crazy, A Love Story. And one of the episodes I did is with me and my longtime therapist. I mean, she's, she's my therapist for over a decade. And we talked about that night and what she saw from her perspective. Why did she take a chance on me? Why did she think there was even hope? And it's fascinating to, to hear about it. It's fascinating to know what other people see and don't see or choose to see and, and choose not to see. 
it's fascinating what you yourself can see because, you know, someone I know said a great, great line, you cannot read the label from inside the bottle. And I, I couldn't see who I was. I didn't even think I was worth saving. So thank God, divine intervention. Well, it, it, it sounds to me like Lynn understood. As soon as you started to tell her what you had been going through, she understood right away what that could do to someone. Yes, absolutely. She, she has said often, um, you know, people, people are so shamed, even, you know, even in this society, when someone you love dies, you're at work. You're given, what, like three days maybe of a grieving period, and then you come back. If you, know, if you are challenged a week down the road, a year down the road, it's just not allowed. And so she has said people need to really embrace that it is a sign of strength to actually go through the door and ask for help. So, there's yeah, a, she's wonderful. There's a, there's a great story, uh, Paulina, um, that, that I love um, about a guy that falls in a hole. And it's a deep hole, and the walls are too steep, and he can't climb out of it. Well, he's, he's stuck there in the hole, and a doctor walks by, and he says, Hey, Doc, I'm stuck in this hole. Can you help me out? And the doc writes a prescription and drops it in the hole. And and then a little while later, a priest walks by and he says, Hey, Father, I'm stuck in this hole. Can you help me out? And the priest says a little prayer and moves on. And then a little while later, a friend of the guy's comes by and he says, Hey, buddy, I'm stuck in this hole. Can you help me out? And the guy jumps in the hole. And he says, What are you, crazy? He said, Now we're both you know, stuck in here, and he goes, yeah, but I've been here before, and I know the way out. Oh, wow. I love that. that. I've never heard that before. Thank you. That is an awesome, awesome little story. And and, and, that, and, it, and it kind of speaks ahead. to, you know, your your experience with Lynn. You know, she she knew what it was like to be down there and knew the way out. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And, and, you know, that is part of what this is all hopefully going to help in doing. So many of us keep it silent because we think it's just us. Well, I've been on a bunch of media interviews this week, um, and I am surprised at the number of media hosts who they themselves have had challenges in their own families with mental health. Well, you know what? Those kinds of stories, the more that we talk about that, the more that we let others know about our own experiences and how, like you're saying, how we've been here before and we've gotten ourselves out, that that is what's going to change this whole narrative and, and change emotional wellness and mental health. That's why my company is even called Madness to Magic because whatever madness is surrounding you and for each of us it's different we we can find the magic within it so and that's what i hope to help people do well paulina with what you told me earlier about 
you know, the, the silence and, you know, the, and, and it's true for a lot of families and, and, and maybe it's, it's almost universally true that, that families have secrets and, and they tend not to tell other people about them. Given that, and especially with a sensitive, you know, issue like mental illness, what made you decide to share all of this painful reality in a book? Mm. Yeah, you know, it, it's, um, gosh, it, in, it, it was part conscious decision, obviously, and part compelled to. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get away from the story and I, of what had happened. And I, I thought to myself, there is no way, no way that all of this has happened to me for it not to have a greater purpose, a greater meaning. So my, my reasoning for kind of, you know, opening up a vein and, you know, letting everyone know about all of this, which was not easy. It was not easy to revisit. It was not easy to write. Um, and it was not even easy once it was out, like all of kind of aftermath stuff. But I, I just knew that there were more people out there like me, but we never told anyone. And I wanted to honor my mom, my sister, my whole family by, by letting them know that what we all went through wasn't for nothing. I, as a matter of fact, the first book, The S Word, so, so this book, Committed, is the sequel to my first book, um, The S Word, which came out in 2015. The S Word took me 10 years to write because it was so traumatic. Uh, you know, I, I use the term vomiting things up. Um, but it almost never saw the light of day because once I had written it, I, I did a public reading and so many people came up to me and this was before it was ever even published or even had a publisher. So many people came up to me and said, oh, my God, whispering, that was me too. Oh, and asked me questions. And I thought, who am I to share this? This is, this is too much for me. And I put the manuscript in a drawer and I left it for a couple of months. And then one day I went down to the grocery store. We have a Smart and Final down our hill. And there's a checkout um, person. She was maybe 16. She was one of my favorite kind of teenage um, checkers. And I noticed that she was having what appeared from her reactions, a very complicated conversation with an elderly gentleman. And the elderly gentleman leaves. I go into her checkout station and I say, hey, Sarah, what, what was that about? Like, that looked interesting. She told me some of the very inappropriate things that this customer said to her. And I said to her, oh, my gosh, what did you say? And she said, Paulina, it's not like anybody teaches you what to say in these kinds of situations. Right there, I thought to myself, oh, my God, I'm not just writing my story for me to heal. I'm writing my story for, for the Sarahs of the world, for the others who might, this might be something to help them learn how to navigate whatever madness is, is going on in their lives. So that's kind of how, how I finally came to the conclusion that I, I am a writer and I need to tell my stories. I was given this for a reason, and it's kind of a slap in the face of God if you don't kind of follow through on the things he gave you to do. Was it, um, you mentioned both 
pain and healing in the process of writing, well, the first book, The S Word, and now the, the sequel, uh, Committed, mad, uh, a, a memoir of madness in the family. Um, which was more, um, reliving the pain or therapy? Mm. Um, so you mean the actual, like, going through the therapy to... to no, I mean, I mean my... writing the book, telling the stories, talking uh -huh. about the behaviors. Yeah. You know what was the most difficult part of it all? Yes, going through and revisiting your past. That in and of itself is difficult. Um, but what was really a challenge, you bring your the, the self that you are now is who you bring to the table when you are revisiting your past. And so... So much of what you see now with time and perspective and age and wisdom, so much of what you see happened back then, you have a whole different viewpoint. And at times, you're like, wow, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe we did that. I can't believe this. And what an idiot. Like, you, you judge yourself. And that, that is very challenging. And what I always um, try to do, and I, I counsel others to do, is, you know, there's a line, there's a poem um, or a line from, uh, from Maya Angelou who says, you know, you, you did what you knew how to do then. Now you know better, so you do better. And I think the most difficult part of the book, especially the S word, the first one, I started it as a pointing fingers, uh, shining a light on all the adults who did me wrong and et cetera. <laughs> and, and by the time it was done, it was a book about forgiveness and redemption and realizing everyone was doing the best they could in that moment, not to forgive uh, or not to, not to excuse, that's what I should say. But I realized that I too um, human that I am. And I am not perfect. That's why even in this book, um, where I am a little older than the first book, obviously, uh, this book, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily, let's say, proud of. Um, but I think it's super important to put it out there that none of us is perfect, not a single one of us. And we do not know really what we would do in any given situation. We just don't until you're walking in those shoes. Right. Um, Paulina, um, this conversation is going by so quickly, and, and we're almost out of time. Um, my guest is uh, Paulina Milana, author of Committed, a Memoir of Madness in the Family, and, and something I think that, that anyone who knows people or has family members that are suffering from mental illness um, it could probably benefit from. Um, but Paulina, I always give guests an opportunity uh, to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. You mentioned counseling. You mentioned a podcast. Do you have a website? Yes, absolutely. Um, they can go to www.madness.com 
to magic. So that's madness, T-O, magic.com. And you can get all the information there. Uh, also, you know, feel free if you want to email me. I'm at powerlina, P-O-W-E-R-L-I-N-A, at madnesstomagic.com. Happy to chat. Well, Paulina, I've been happy to chat with you. This is uh, uh, an important, uh, despite a, a couple of uh, chuckles along the way, um, <laughs> it's it, it's it's a serious thing, and uh, people can really benefit from uh, some of what you've experienced and what you've shared. And I want to thank you for sharing that in the book and this morning with our listeners. Thank you for having me on. A pleasure and what you're doing for so many people, really, it, it, it's just making a huge difference. Well, thank you, Paulina. And uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. You have an awesome day. All right. Take care. Once again, uh, that was uh, Paulina Milana, author of Committed, A Memoir of Madness in the Family. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <laughs> Hey, 
This is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. 
More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. There's a book written called Psychological Studies of Famous Americans, and it examines from a psychological viewpoint uh, Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant and uh, Walt Whitman, people like this, and tries to explain in terms of psychology why these people acted the way they did, that they really did not act from... uh, from valor or anything else, that there were deep psychological problems these people had, and that's why they reacted the way they did. One person they skipped that I thought would be a great subject for analysis, if they had analysis when he was around, was uh, Ben Franklin. I think he... (laughs) I think this man is ripe for analysis. So this is uh, Ben's analyst. And he's in a typical analyst's office. He has a, a, a desk and a chair and a couch and an intercom. Yeah, uh, who, who, uh, who is it, Murray? Ben, ben Franklin. Um, can, I, uh, can I duck him, Murray? <laughs> he's, he's, he's standing right there in the office. He's, he's dripping all over the rugs. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, send him in, Mary. Uh, uh, Mary, how, how's he doing on his account? Uh, th- three months behind, huh? Yeah, he's, he's thrifty, all right, Mary. All right, send him in, send him in. Well, hi, hi there, Ben. How are you today? Good. Ben, you want to you lie down on the couch there? Uh, ben, you want to put some papers down on the couch so... Don't uh, don't get the couch all wet. Well, I'd, I'd say from the looks of our clothes, we've been uh, flying the kite again in the rainstorm, right, Ben? <laughs> okay, Ben. Um, we copied down our dreams, did we? Mm-hmm. You, you didn't have to. It's the same one. You're you're walking down the street. And you, you find a half dollar, and your face is on it. <laughs> that's, that's pretty sick, Ben, you know that? <laughs> Washington has the same dream, only he sees his face on paper. Huh? Do you want to you give George my number, uh, Ben? <laughs> Okay, Ben, let's, let's see if we can't get to the bottom of this kite fixation thing. Um, the, uh, the lightning knocked you down again, uh, did it, Ben? <laughs> you're, you're not surprised by that, though, are you? I mean, you, you expect it to knock you down, don't you? <laughs> you know, Ben, uh, 
You being a founding father and all, you know, it, uh, it doesn't exactly inspire confidence in people to see a, you know, a grown man flying a kite, you know. <laughs> it's too bad it, it, it isn't something a little more private, you know, you could, you could do in the privacy of your own room, like uh, spinning a top, you know, <laughs> some, something like that. You ever, ever thought of spinning a top, Ben? Wouldn't, wouldn't knock you down. Hmm? That's, that's important to you, is it, Ben? The, hmm? Okay, let, let me see if I have the picture now, Ben. Uh, you're flying your kite, all right, Ben? And you're letting out the string. Everything's the same as usual. There's, there's something different this time. You, you use strips of cloth for the tail. Red, white, and blue strips of cloth. <laughs> where'd, uh, where'd you get the red, white, and blue strips of cloth, Ben? From, from Betsy Ross. She, she's got plenty of it. She, she's up to wearing it, Ben? Now, uh, Be uh, Betsy gave you the cloth, did she, Ben? You, you took the cloth. A, a penny saved is a penny earned. Why, uh, why didn't you ask uh, Betsy for the cloth, Ben? She thinks you're a sissy because you wear bows on your shoes. <laughs> and, and she chased you down the street yelling, you're not thrifty, you're cheap. <laughs> she, uh, she could have something there, Ben. Nothing, 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 Ben. Mm -hmm. Why, uh, why didn't you uh, pay Betsy uh, for, for the cloth, Ben? Keep what is dear to you if, if you would prosper. Mm -hmm. Ben, I, I think we can get a lot more done if, if you drop the little homilies after, after each, uh, <laughs> each statement. Ben, we don't seem to be getting anywhere with, it, with a kite thing. Uh, let's switch to something else. How, how are the inventions uh, coming along, Ben? You, you got lucky this morning. You, you don't have to wear your bifocals anymore. The, the lightning fused your glasses to your eyeballs. <laughs> what, uh, what are you going to call them, Ben? Con contact lenses. Ben, I, I, uh, I sure would like to be more optimistic about your condition, but um, <laughs> afraid I'm going to have to recommend a shock treatment, Ben. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to do it because there are always uh, undesirable side effects. Well, what, what we do, Ben, is uh, we stick you inside the Liberty Bell and, uh, and we, <clears throat> we uh, ring it a couple times, you know. Well, uh, the problem is you, you, you quiver for about two or three years, you see. <laughs> ben, I'm afraid our time is almost up. We'll see you uh, next, next Thursday then. Right. Goodbye, Ben. You, you get him, Mary? He ran, ran out already, huh? <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed uh, the conversations I shared with uh, all of our guests today, including this uh, this last hour with uh, Paulina Milana talking about her book Committed, a memoir of madness in the family. Kind of a, well, kind of an offbeat kind of way to look forward to Mother's Day talking about her, uh, um, experience being a caregiver for her mentally ill mother and sister, but also a good way to acknowledge Mental Health Awareness Month, which is May. It was also um, uh, National Day of Prayer, and it seemed kind of appropriate to revisit my uh, conversation with uh, Jean-Pierre Isbouts, who uh, teamed up with National Geographic to uh, share his research into uh, the life of uh, Jesus and the origins of Christianity, which he's been studying and writing about for over 15 years. And we kicked off this National Day of Prayer with Rabbi Manus Friedman, who is uh, known as YouTube's most popular rabbi. And uh, what, a, what a treat to get a chance to talk with him. He also does... Uh, he has an acclaimed cable television series, Torah Forum, with Manus Friedman. And uh, that smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But uh, I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner program. We've got some, some good ones coming up tomorrow as well. But uh, in the meantime, I, I guess I'll just uh, kick back and uh, enjoy the rest of the uh, the rest of the day as i hope you will too good night everybody the tom sumner program is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the flint area Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If 
you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.